Chapter One of David Elginbrod. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David Elginbrod by George MacDonald. And gladly would he learn and gladly teach. Chaucer. To the memory of Lady Noel Byron, this book is dedicated with a love stronger than death. Book One, Turry Puffet. With him there was a ploughman, was his brother, a true a swinker, and a good was he, living in peace and perfect charity. God loved he best with all his true a heart, and all a times were it gain or smart, and then his neighbour right as himself. Chaucer, Prologue to the Canterbury Tales. Chapter One, The Firwood. Of all the flowers in the mead, then love I most these flowers white and red, such that men call in daisies in our town. I run a blithe, as soon as ever the sun ginneth west, to see this flower how it will go to rest, for fear of night so hateth she darkness, her cheer is plainly spread in the brightness of the sunna, for there it will unclose. Chaucer, Prologue to the Legend of Good Women Meg, where are you gain, that get, like a wool shuttle, come into the book? Meg's mother stood at the cottage door with arms akimbo and clouded brow, calling through the boles of a little forest of fir-trees after her daughter. One would naturally presume that the phrase she employed, comparing her daughter's motions to those of a shuttle that had gone wool, or lost its way, implied that she was watching her as she threaded her way through the trees. But although she could not see her, the firwood was certainly the likeliest place for her daughter to be in, and the figure she employed was not in the least inapplicable to Meg's usual mode of wandering through the trees, that operation being commonly performed in the most erratic manner possible. It was the ordinary occupation of the first hour of almost every day of Margaret's life, as soon as she woke in the morning, the fir-wood drew her towards it, and she rose and went. Through its crowd of slender pillars she strayed hither and thither, in an aimless manner, as if resignedly haunting the neighbourhood of something she had lost, or, hopefully, that of a treasure she expected one day to find. It did not seem that she had heard her mother's call, for no response followed and Janet Elginbrod returned into the cottage where David, of the same surname, who was already seated at the white deal table with the book, or large family Bible, before him, straightway commenced reading a chapter in the usual routine from the Old Testament, the new being reserved for the evening devotions. The chapter was the fortieth of the prophet Isaiah, and as the voice of the reader re-uttered the words of old inspiration, one might have thought that it was the voice of the ancient prophet himself, pouring forth the expression of his own faith in his expostulations with the unbelief of his brethren. The chapter finished, it is none of the shortest, and Meg had not yet returned. The two knelt, and David prayed thus, O thou who holdest the waters in the hollow of a hand, and carriest the lambs of thy own making in thy bosom with the other hand, it would be altogether unworthy of thee and of thy majesty of love to require of us that which thou knowest we cannot bring unto thee, 
until thou enrich us with that same. Therefore, like thine own bairns, we bow down afore thee, and pray that thou wouldst take thy will of us, thy holy and perfect and blessed will of us, for, O oh God, we are thine own. And for our lassie, what's oot among the trees, and what we do not think forgets her maker, though she may whilst forget her prayers, Lord, keep her a bonny lassie in thy sight, as white and clean in thine eyne as she is fair and wholesome in ours. And, O, oh, we thank thee, Father in heaven, for giving her to us, and knew, for all our wrong-doings and ill-minings, for our sins and trespasses of many sorts, do not forget them, O oh God, till thou puts them all right in sign, exercise thy mighty power in or thine own self, and clean forget them altogether. Cast them behind thy back, where even thine ein ein shall ne'er see them again, that we may walk bold and upright afore thee for evermore, and see the face of him who was a muckle god in doing thy bidding, as given he had been ordering a thing himself. For his sake, amen. I hope my readers will not suppose that I give this as a specimen of Scotch prayers. I know better than that. David was an unusual man, and his prayers were unusual prayers. The present was a little more so in its style, from the fact that one of the subjects of it was absent, a circumstance that rarely happened. But the degree of difference was too small to be detected by any but those who were quite accustomed to his forms of thought and expression. How much of it Janet understood or sympathized with, it is difficult to say, for anything that could be called a thought rarely crossed the threshold of her utterance. On this occasion, at the moment the prayer was ended, she rose from her knees, smoothed down her check apron, and went to the door, where, shading her eyes from the blinding sun with her hand, she peered from under its penthouse into the fir-wood, and said in a voice softened, apparently by the exercise in which she had taken a silent share, "'Where can that lassie be?' And where was the lassie? In the fir-wood, to be sure, with the thousand shadows and the sunlight through it all, for at this moment the light fell upon her far in its depths, and revealed her hastening towards the cottage in as straight a line as the trees would permit, now blotted out by a crossing shadow and anon radiant in the sunlight, appearing and vanishing as she threaded the upright warp of the fir-wood. It was morning all around her, and one might see that it was morning within her, too, as emerging at last in the small open space around the cottage, Margaret, I cannot call her Meg, although her mother does, her father always called her Maggie Madou, Anglicis Dove, Margaret approached her mother with a bright, healthful face, and the least possible expression of uneasiness on her fair forehead. She carried a book in her hand. What gars ye gang, Stravagun, that get Meg, when ye ken weel enough ye should have been to worship long syne? And so we mount have worship our lands for want of ye, ye hizzy. I did not ken it was sae late, mither, replied Margaret, in a submissive tone, musical in spite of the rugged dialect into which the sounds were fashioned. Nay, dot, ye had your breakfast, and ye were not that hungry for the word. But here comes your father, and you'll know men for his flight, and I's promise. Hoots, let the bairn alone, Janet, my woman. The word'll be more to her afore long. I wot she was ha, has a word of her known there. What book has ye gotten there, Meg? Where got ye it? 
Had it not been for the handsome binding of the book in her daughter's hand, it would neither have caught her eye nor roused the suspicions of Janet. David glanced at the book in his turn, and a faint expression of surprise, embodied chiefly in the opening of his eyelids a little wider than usual, crossed his face. But he only said with a smile, I did not ken that the tree of knowledge was such fair fruit grew in our wood, Maggie Madu. What got ye the book? reiterated Janet. Margaret's face was by this time the colour of the crimson boards of the volume in her hand, but she replied at once, I got it from Master Sutherland, I reckon. Janet's first response was an inverted whistle, her next another question. Master Sutherland? What's that of it? Hoot, lass, interposed David, ye ken well enough. It's the new tutor lad up at the house, a fine, douce, honest child, and well farred forby. Let's see the bit book, ye lassie. Margaret handed it to her father. Coleridge's poems, read David with some difficulty. Take it home directly, said Janet. Nay, nay, said David, and the apples of the tree of knowledge are no strapped with soot and stew, and given the one bee, she'll soon ken by the state of what's coming. It's no muckle of an ill book at ye'll read, Maggie Madu. Good preserve us, man. I'm no saying it's an ill book, but it's no right to make appointments with stranger lads in the woods so early in the morning. It's new yourself, Meg. Mother, mother, said Margaret, and her eyes flashed through the watery veil that tried to hide them. Who can ye? Ye ken yourself I had nae appointment with him or any man. Weel, well, said Janet, and apparently either satisfied with or overcome by the emotion she had excited, she turned and went in to pursue her usual house avocations, while David, handling the book to his daughter, went away down the path that led from the cottage door in the direction of a road to be seen at a little distance through the trees which surrounded the cottage on all sides. Margaret followed her mother into the cottage, and was soon as busy as she with her share of the duties of the household. But it was a good many minutes before the cloud caused by her mother's hasty words entirely disappeared from a forehead which might with especial justice be called the sky of her face. Meantime, David emerged from the more open road, and bent his course, still through fir-woods, towards a house for whose sake alone the road seemed to have been constructed. End chapter 1